If you would, open your Bible to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Yes, I know what time it is. <laughs> yes, I know that the little ones in the preschool, their tummies and our tummies think it an hour later than it actually is. So, completely aware of that. Uh, over the last maybe three or four weeks, it felt like almost every day or every other day, I got another email that said, Owen, your sermon's getting shorter on November 7th. Owen, your sermon's getting shorter on November 7th. And so we're, we're here at, at this point, but oh, how good, how good it is to be able to celebrate God's grace and mercy and salvation and what that means for our church family, what that means for you and your family and for each of us in, in our own lives. And so I thought for just a couple of minutes this morning, we would talk together about what it means for the gospel to move forward. The gospel, the good news of Jesus' salvation, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit. How does the gospel advance? How do these things happen? And we see pictures of it throughout scripture. But one very clear picture comes when you get to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to start reading there in verse 1 to get the idea of what's going on. The middle of Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So in the early church, we're still in the very early days of people experiencing Jesus as Lord and understanding who Jesus is as the Messiah, and the church is facing pressure from two directions. There's internal dissension and difficulties in the church, as, as there always can be. There's this internal turmoil, but the church is also starting to face some external pressure, some, some persecution and difficulty from those who don't want to see the gospel move forward, who don't want to see the word of God spread. And so there's this external pressure, and you see that in Acts chapter 7 with the martyrdom of Stephen, as you have the first person who dies as a result of, of being a follower of Jesus. And so you've got these things that are beginning to develop there. You have this pressure that's coming against the church. And it says as a result of that pressure, the people are scattered, except for the apostles. And I know that seems like a throwaway line there at the end, but that line is actually a key phrase to understand the way that the book of Acts works. Because think about this, you have this difficulty that's happening, and the people are forced to leave their church, so let's just bring it here. Let's pretend that we were getting all kinds of external threats and pressure and persecution, and it was so great that everyone was forced to scatter except those on staff were left here. So all the people are scattered out, except the leaders. What happens in this situation? Look down in verse 4. Down in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 what the enemy intended for evil, God used for good and for the salvation of many. When persecution came, 
when difficulty came, when the people were scattered. And remember, these aren't the professional preachers who, who are scattered at this point. This is just the regular, everyday people who are following Jesus. When they are scattered, what do they not do? They don't complain. They don't whine. They don't hide. They just preach Jesus wherever they are sent. When the church is affected in this way, and they're sent out, they just keep preaching Jesus in all these new places where they're sent. So, for the, for the opposition, instead of having the church all gathered in one area, they thought they were going to cause trouble with their persecution. All they did is just spread the good news, and the people went out. One of the people who led this effort was a man named Philip. The name Philip, now this is not the same Philip who was one of the, the disciples. We're, we've got a different Philip here. Philip the name means lover of horses. So if you're a horse person, Philip's your guy here. Philip means lover of horses. And, and Philip, and we find out later in Acts, and I love this, that his daughters as well were prophets. They were involved in, in the spread of the gospel. Uh, so this morning, we were supposed to be starting the book of Esther together as a church. <laughs> and, and as the number of baptisms grew, and we started talking about doing parent-child dedication, the book of Esther, in the first couple of chapters, is not rated PG. Let me, let me just say it that way. Like, it's, a, it's kind of a difficult book. So it didn't seem good to start Esther this morning, knowing everything that was going to be, be happening. We're going to start Esther next week. And then in Christmas, we're going to talk about the women of Christmas, the women of the Christmas story. And so I love this part of Philip's story, that it's him and his, his daughters going out and sharing the good news of Jesus as they go. Point number one I want to make to you this morning is that when the gospel advances, the gospel advances as we trust God through difficult circumstances and normal people. How does the gospel go forward? It doesn't go forward necessarily when everything's easy, and it doesn't go forward as a result of the work of the professional paid church staff. The gospel goes forward through difficult circumstances and normal people. And friends, most of you here today could sign up for both. Like you say, I know difficult circumstances. I, I've got that down. I know the challenges of life. And I don't know what you mean by normal, Owen. That's probably not me, but I think that's who you're intending to say is, is we're just regular people. We're, we're not called to vocational ministry. I'm not serving in that way. Can I tell you that the advancement of the gospel in the years to come because of things that are happening in our world, the advancement of the gospel is going to happen not because of the professional paid people, but because of God's Holy Spirit at work in his church. That he is going to send you out to where you live, learn, work, and play to share the good news of Jesus. Hard circumstances, normal people, the gospel just keeps going forward. Now, look what happens next. Verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. And they saw the signs that he did. What allowed Philip's ministry to push the gospel forward? It was what he said and what he did. He proclaimed Jesus, he spoke about Jesus, and he did good works so people could see Jesus' power on display. And as Emmaus, we are not going to allow those two things to compete. We believe they both belong together. We are unapologetically going to speak about the good news of Jesus and we're going to love and serve our neighbors and friends around us, and we believe both of those work together, not in competition. We proclaim Jesus, and we display Jesus, and we want to allow both of those to be used to advance the gospel. 
Verse 7, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Is there joy in South Oklahoma City more in Norman because Emmaus is here as a church family? Our preaching of Jesus and our love for our neighbors and our community, is there joy in our city because the Holy Spirit of God is working through our church family as we speak about Jesus and share his good news through how we live? Verse 9, look at the other side of this, the competition to this. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was somebody great. Now, I need to make an explanation here because we really like magic in our house. <laughs> so what's going on here? This, this form of magic here is not just about like a good time for, for your friends. This is a very dark form of magic, and it's a magic about building up your personal power, doing things with magic that are not honoring and glorifying to the Lord. And here's this man, Simon, who's a magician, trying to draw attention to himself. And verse 10 says, they all paid attention to him. Be very afraid when you see anybody in a position of spiritual leadership or authority and everybody's just paying attention to them. Let that be a huge red flag to you about what's going on in that situation. Here, everybody is just paying attention to Simon. From the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. The danger here of trying to draw attention to self instead of focusing on the one true God. So here's the second way the gospel advances. The first way is hard circumstances, normal people. The gospel also advances when we proclaim and display Jesus. As a church family, we are saying we want to see hundreds of more people baptized in the days ahead. We want to see the gospel go forward in a culture of darkness and death and just chaos. We want to see the gospel go forward we're going to speak about Jesus, and we're going to display Jesus through how we live. Not trying to draw attention to ourselves, but speaking about the hope and joy that's found in Jesus. I don't know about you, but, but we live in a world where people could use hope and they could use joy. And we believe both of those come through Jesus. Look at the next verse, verse 12. This will be our last verse, our, our last point. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. This pattern is all throughout the book of Acts. It's all throughout the Bible. The gospel is preached. People believe, and they're baptized. You just see that pattern working itself out over and over and over again. The third way that the gospel is advanced is when the church celebrates baptism. The church is going to go through difficult circumstances, and it's made up of just regular, everyday people. We're going to advance the gospel. We're going to proclaim Jesus, and we're going to display Jesus through how we live because we don't want to be hypocrites. We want to show the good news of Jesus through everything we do, and we are going to celebrate baptism. Because when you see people baptized, it's not just an impact on them and their family. Friends, baptism impacts the whole church. <laughs> it, it energizes the church. It's a picture of the gospel to the church. It's a picture of the gospel to the world. 
and we're good Baptists, and I understand that we believe, and we rightfully believe, and we hold strong to this, that the act of baptism doesn't save you. And, and we're trying to be so clear with our kids about this, and, and we understand that. But let's be careful not to minimize baptism either. Because when Jesus sent out his disciples and said, go and make disciples of all nations, what's the very first thing you're commanded to do? To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If God so worked in your life to call you to follow him, why not do just the very first thing he's called you to do, which is to display that faith through baptism. If you are struggling with the idea of baptism, or maybe you're talking with a kid or a grandchild or a neighbor about baptism, and you're like, this is hard. How do you know that somebody's ready for baptism? You saw 17 examples of people that every one of us was trying to navigate this question. Are they ready to be baptized? Do they understand? There's just this ongoing challenge that's involved there. Let me give you three things that have been really helpful for me personally. So if you've never been baptized or you have questions about your baptism as a kid and you're like, I don't really know that I was baptized to show people I was a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're talking to kids or grandkids. These are three things that have been, been really helpful for me. You're looking for conviction, confession, and commitment. You're looking for conviction, this, this realization in the person's life that they're facing sin, and sin that they can't overcome on their own. Uh, I think about my own baptism and, and time of salvation as a, as a little kid. I don't remember a lot about that, but one thing sticks out to me the most, and it was this realization of there's a problem here, I've got a problem, and I can't fix it on my own. Just this basic realization of the reality of sin, something we can't fix on our own, and it drives us to repent and turn to Jesus. So there's conviction, you see that in your kids' lives, you see that in your own life, conviction of sins. And then confession, that you understand that your hope comes through Jesus. <laughs> you saw 17 examples of little kids saying, Jesus is Lord. Some of them not little kids, practically grown into men and women at this point, but confessing Jesus is Lord. The confession, and we talk to kids when they get baptized. The picture of baptism, what I love so much about baptism is when you are baptized, it's a picture of the gospel. When you go into the water, it's a picture of burial, of Jesus' death, that he died for our sins. And when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection, Sin and death are two problems that we can never overcome on our own. Jesus dealt with both of those through his death and his resurrection, and you get a picture of that in baptism, that you come to a place in life and you can say, Jesus is Lord. He is over all of my life. He is boss. He is in control. And then there's this commitment that you sense in your own life or in the lives of your kids. They're not getting baptized because you want them to get baptized, and, and that's a concern for every parent, grandparent, friend. We're always, we're always trying to navigate that. They're not getting baptized because you want them to. They're getting baptized because they want to show people they're committed to Jesus. And we realize that's a lifelong journey, and it's going to take all of us to continue to lead them forward. Baptism is the starting line. It's not the finish line, but it's this beginning to say, I'm committed to Jesus. So, as I get ready to wrap up here, have you been baptized as a follower of Jesus? What is God doing in your life? You say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I, I follow Jesus. Have you done the very first thing he asked you to do? To repent and believe, to be baptized. If not, 
What's standing in the way of that? Maybe there's confusion, uncertainty. Don't be embarrassed by that. I'm so excited we had 17 kids and teenagers baptized today. My only concern, and hear me out on this, my only concern in this is that there would be an adult in the room who would say, oh yeah, baptism is a little kid thing. No, 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 it's a Jesus thing. Baptism is you thinking about your own life. Have I displayed to the church and to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus? Do you have conviction of sin? Do you confess Jesus as Lord? Are you committed to following him? Then respond in baptism. Respond in showing people what God has done in your life. You may be here this morning, and you're here to support a family member or a friend, but you're not a follower of Jesus. You never trusted in Jesus for salvation. What I want to say to you is no matter your background, no matter where you've come from, what you've done, what's in front of you, every one of us faces two problems in life, sin and death. We cannot overcome that on our own. Every one of us. Jesus has dealt with both of those for you. He died on the cross to take your sin, and he rose again to defeat the power of death. And if you are here this morning, I would call you to trust in Jesus for salvation. You may have come to watch a baptism, and God is going to do that very work in your life today, that you would trust in Jesus for salvation. I want to pray over you guide you through a time of prayer, and then we're gonna stand and sing the doxology together as a church, which we love to do at Emmaus, and then you're gonna be dismissed. But if God is working in your heart, please don't leave this place without talking to someone or coming to talk with me at the front. Let me pray for you, take you through a time of prayer. We're gonna stand and sing a final chorus together. Father, thank you for the incredible joy of, of our worship service this morning. So many stories represented, so many families represented, friendships. And God, for every one of these that have been baptized, what I'm most excited about is what you're gonna do in their lives in the days ahead. God, that you are going to use them to advance the gospel. We all face hard circumstances. Some people here today are just in the middle of the most difficult, imaginable circumstances. They maybe don't feel like they have a lot to bring to the table, but God, you're gonna use them to advance the gospel. God, work in our church in that way. Help us to celebrate baptism in the days ahead. God, I pray that if there's anyone here, first of all, who has never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you are here and you recognize your sin and rebellion against God, you recognize that you have a problem in your life that you're never gonna be able to fix on your own. If you're thinking about your own mortality and the reality of death in the world and you feel overwhelmed by that, this morning, right now in this moment, I would call you to simply trust in Jesus, to believe that God raised him from the dead and to say Jesus is the Lord, he is Savior. Would you do that right now, right where you're sitting? Confess Jesus is Lord. And if you've made that confession and you've never been baptized, that this morning would be a chance to look at your own heart. Is it, is it confusion? Is it just a little bit of uncertainty? Maybe it's something else getting in the way of that. But you would consider, I want people to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to display that, not to draw attention to myself, but to encourage the church and advance the gospel. 
God, thank you for the family and friends, grandparents, aunts, uncles, so many people who are here today. God, send us out with renewed joy about how you're working in the world, and let us be part of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.